In today's episode, we get to hang out with the godfather of the case interview, Mark Cosentino. He tells us how he got his start, how it was a moment with a credit card statement and the whole future flashed before his eyes. He tells us how it's going, what he's up to now, and he tells us what's next. What a treat it is to hear from Mark directly. You're going to love this, and I can't wait to dive in. Let's go. For nearly 30 years, Mark Cosentino's pioneering work has towered over the field of case interviews. As Case Questions founder, Mark has trained over 150,000 people to find their perfect job fit, written over 100 cases, published four best-selling books, and delivered workshops on countless college campuses. And he has taught top companies how to use case interviews and case competitions to their greatest advantage. Based in Santa Barbara, California, Mark previously worked at Harvard University in career services. He is a graduate of Harvard Kennedy School, Harvard's program on negotiation, and the University of Denver. Mark, we are so excited to have you here on Strategy Simplified. Welcome. Well, thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Can you first just begin by telling us about your aha moment for writing Case in Point? Take us back to the, the day, the time, the crisp autumn weather, whatever was happening at the moment uh, when you were had that moment for the aha. All right. Well, I'll give you a teaser. It happened when I opened up the credit card bill um, because I have a, a wife who spends money like a drunken sailor. <laughs> You've met Lisa, you know, she's a wonderful woman. We've been married. Lisa is a wonderful woman. Yes. Years, but she spends a lot of money. So in um, back in 1988 is when I first learned about case interviews. Uh, when I started working at, at Harvard, all the consulting firms came to Harvard to interview the Harvard undergrads. And but there was nothing, there was no case prep back then. And most people didn't know what it was, how to answer questions. So I sat in a lot of interviews, um, talked to the recruiters, talked to the students, debriefed them after they got out. And I started collecting inf information. And then in the early 90s, I wrote the Harvard College Guide to Consulting and the Harvard College Guide to Case Interviews. Um, but when you write a book for Harvard College, when you're part of the Faculty of Arts and Sciences, they own the book. They own everything you write. So then in 1997, I moved over to the Kennedy School of Government. They wanted me to be keeper of the dark side. The <laughs> The private sector guy. And I said, I'll come over if I can write a book and own it and go out and, and do workshops. And they said, we don't care what you do. So I moved over. I wrote uh, Case in Point um, in five weeks while working full time because this is all I, I worked on. I was the only one on all of Harvard's campuses that knew anything about this subject. So I saw not only Kennedy School students, but Harvard undergrads, business school students, PhDs, um, JDs, anyone who had a McKinsey interview or BCG interview, they somehow got onto my schedule. So I started uh, collecting more information. And, and in 1999, the first edition of uh, Case in Point came out. And the aha moment was, you know, I had two young kids that eventually had to go to 
college. So I, I needed to <laughs> I needed to put some money away. And this was a, a nice way to do it. I love that. So your foundation was in entrepreneurship. That's amazing. You know, Mark, I've, I've joked recently with my husband that he thought he was marrying a frugal woman because I used to have small credit card bills, but I hadn't discovered buying companies and buying real estate yet. So I think he got uh, he, he got a bigger surprise than he was counting on more recently. Um, I'm excited to just talk a little bit about the development of Case in Point and the Mark Cosentino approach to case interview prep, because you knew it for all these college students. You had to develop a methodology, though. It didn't exist. There was nothing there. Uh, the firms at the time, if I remember, were saying, you don't have to practice for case interviews. All you have to do is come in and show us how you think. And so you you were on the other side of that saying, no, I actually do think there are methodologies behind it. So tell us a little bit about how you developed this approach to case interview prep for listeners that might not be familiar with it. All right. Well, well back in the day when, when companies would send more senior people to do the interview. So I remember Oliver Wyman, Alex Oliver and Bill Wyman used to come on campus and do the actual interviews. And those guys were genius because they would pick something out of the resume of the student and turn that one experience into a case. Um, and it took a lot of work to do that. And you had to be pretty smart to kind of pull that off. But 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 they were geniuses at it. Then more and more people started coming, doing case interviews, and they weren't as senior. And so we needed to kind of prepare for for the cases. And, you know, the um, I went back and looked at the first edition of Case in Point and I had the IVK system in there. You know, and the IVK system basically tells you to summarize the case, verify the objective, ask if there's any other objectives or goals, ask some clarifying questions, and then lay out your structure. I uh, had everything but, you know, state a hypothesis. So, you know, people use that still today. Um, and, you know, I can't take all the credit for it because I was getting feedback from a lot of different people, but I was the first one to, to, to publish anything like that. Um, and so they don't, you know, now, back then, for a long time, there were maybe three books, major books out. Um, now there are like 15 or 20 books out. They all still use that method, but they don't call it the IVK system anymore because it's become common knowledge, right? So um, people still use that. That's how they, they get started in, in their cases. I love it. Well, uh, so you talked about this history of these really senior people coming. It's so different than what we see today, right? These very junior people who are actually conducting first round interviews on cases they never worked on um, with, you know, scoring systems that have been developed and advanced by the firms. The model has uh, it changed a lot. So is there one thing, if you go back to it, you kind of mentioned something that's really stayed the same, the IVK system. Um, but is there something that you go back to in that first edition and you think, oh, that's not at all true today? It doesn't, it's not the same as what we used to do and something that has kind of evolved in the space or in the interviewing process. Well, I think the structures have evolved. You know, back then, in uh, in the first edition, I had 12 different scenarios. So basically 12 different structures that the students had to memorize. But there was so much overlap in those structures that after 
I think the the third or fourth edition, I changed it from 12 down to four. Um, And I still have those four in the book today because these are the structures that are basically carved in sand, right? So profit and loss, pricing, growth, and um, entering a new market. Those are probably the most common ones. And, you know, they're not going to change all that much. But today, you know, more and more cases fall outside the usual um, suspects. And so people have to handcraft a structure based on the case itself while making sure that it remains messy. And that's the real kind of uh, struggle uh, these days. And that's kind of the, the, the big difference than from what it was. And one of the, you know, today, one of the kisses of death of a case interview, right, is taking a prefabricated structure and jamming it into, you know, any case. And the culprit is mostly the profit and loss structure. People still do that all the time. Uh, so, you know, don't. <laughs> you know, handcraft that structure and and. And there are there are components, you know, you want to your your chances are you're going to ask questions about the company or the client. Chances are you're going to ask questions about the, the market. And so kind of having a good understanding of those two things before going in uh, will will allow you to walk into the interview. Uh, your confidence is going to be high. You're going to be able to lay out your structure more quickly because you don't have to stop and think. What do I want to know about the market? You already know what you want to know about the market because you've given that some thought and you're not going to miss anything big, right? You're not going to use everything you think of in every case, but there's not going to be any holes in your, in your structure. I love it. Uh, Mark, over time, you have talked about what theories have evolved. Uh, you've also seen a lot of students You've seen a lot of young professionals. Uh, They've come through your workshops. They've been in rooms with you one-on-one. I understand that you do some one-on-one sessions with students on college campuses. Um, And so what what do you see? What are the most critical skills for young professionals that are preparing for the corporate world? And, And maybe a second part of that, which you can answer together or separately, how has that changed since you've been in the field? Okay, well, I, um, I would like to give you two. One is um, learn from your mistakes, and the other one is communication. You know, every, everybody's going to make mistakes. You're coming out of college. You're full of piss and vinegar. You don't know what you don't know. You've been protected uh, by the school the last four years, and you're going to have a rude awakening when you hit, you know, a corporation. You know, it's you, so you or you're gone is the sort of thing. Uh, so learn, you know, learn from your mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. It's acceptable, but you need to learn from them and, and build on that and then move on. The other one is communication. I mean, since texting, everybody's communication skills, I think, have gone down a notch, myself included. You know, people forget what a complete sentence is. So. Being able to LOL, write. Mark, LOL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But being able to to communicate well, 
uh, write, you know, in a business style, get your point across. I know you guys are a big fan, as I am, of the pyramid principle. Absolutely. Learning how to, to do that and communicate well. Those are our two main things. The other stuff you can learn, right? You know, the analytics and but communication and, and writing and, and learning from your mistakes, you need to take that in there on day one. Absolutely. Um, and so you mentioned communication really changing and evolving with the uh, text. But what about the first one, the learning from mistakes? Do you see a difference in the students that you're seeing and working with now versus the ones that you worked with What in your days at Harvard? Um, yeah. So oddly enough, I think cases were tougher years ago than they are today in the sense that when you're answering a case, they would say, let me tell you why you're wrong. Right. And you would have to. And the reason and it doesn't matter if you picked option A or option B, they had arguments. You were wrong. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Because they wanted to see if you could defend your answer without getting defensive, make a persuasive argument while keeping your confidence level high. Right. And that's so important, as you know, the you know, your clients aren't always going to be happy with what you have to say. And they're going to be in your face and down your throat. And we want to make sure that you can can handle it, that you're not going to totally you know, break down in tears or, you know, throw a wobbly. You, know, you have to be able to defend it and remain professional. So. You know, I think that that's harder. Uh, people don't do that as much anymore. Also, uh, so I still when I do cases with students, I still do that all the time. And um, and a lot of them just crumble. They'll just say, oh, well, that was a good argument. You're right. <laughs> you know, and even though they had a good argument, they don't defend it. Yeah. The other thing uh, they used to do and I still do when I do my cases is when they say something like, well, you know, why does Netflix want to do this? And I'll say, well, why do you think? Right. I'll throw it back in their face. And when I do that, they freeze because they've never no one's ever done that to them before. And it happens. It still happens today. Not as much as it used to happen, but they got to be prepared for that. So those are, I think, two things that that I still do. Maybe it's old school, but you got to be prepared for for that sort of thing. I love that. Yeah, when I I remember when I went to Bain, I felt like a genius. They, they, you know, the whole sales process is basically you go through the case and they're antagonistic, but then they tell you at the end like that was amazing and you're incredible and you should come work here and not at McKinsey. And then and then you you show up on day one at the firm and they're basically like you're an amoeba, right? You know, you know nothing. And I, I was not mentally prepared for the expectation of the culture of of refinement, let's call it in a very gentle and nice way, right? Basically, I was told for my whole first year that I was terrible, really bad at my job. And I and looking back, I was really bad at my job, actually, I wasn't good. Um, but that was part of their process of getting through it. So I love that you call out that cases test for that. Um, because the ability for people to put themselves through that process and come out the other side without crying and running away is really, really important. And and the other thing, the, the one thing that you really can't test in a case interview um, is teamwork. 
you can you can bring the interviewer into the process, make them feel like a stakeholder, make them feel like a client, which you should be doing. But as far as teamwork, in a case interview, it's it's very different than what you would be doing as a consultant. So if I was put in charge of a consulting firm's recruiting process, first round would be one-on-one -on -one cases. Second round would be a case competition with the other candidates, right? You get thrown in with three people you don't know. You're given a case. You're given a timeline. There's a recruiter who's sitting in the corner of the room watching the dynamics. You have several hours to put together a presentation. You present it to three or four consultants, and then they grill you. Right. And, and see how you whether or not you can defend your answer and they see you in action, but they also see you, you know, working as part of a team with people you don't know and how who becomes the leader and how did they become the leader? Did it happen naturally or was it, you know, did someone kind of bully their way in? And, you know, those things are also very important because, you know, consulting is all about teamwork, working, you know, as part of a, a, a team. Um, and that's just something they really can't measure in, in case interviews today. I love that you mentioned that because our um, our actual training at Bain, our offsite training, uh, was in um, in the Northeast near Boston uh, on Cape Cod, and we they basically brought us together and we did essentially a week long case competition. And there was this one moment I'll never forget it in my life. A man who's now a partner at Bain in London. Uh, was one of our managers who was assigned to the team um, to train us that week. And, and he pulled, he did one-on-ones with each of us. And in the one-on-one, -on -one, I don't know if he asked everybody this, but he asked me, he said, who's the top performer on our team? He asked me the question uh, on behalf of the whole team. Um, and I, I, there was, there was another guy, it wasn't me. And it was this moment of clarity that I, I called out and I said, you know, he said, why is he the top performer? And he he was bringing me along to an insight that he wanted, I think, everyone on the team to understand, which is that it wasn't the all star, the fastest to contribute, the one that was the best at the data. It was the person who quarterbacked the team. Right. It was the person who who brought everything along. And um, and that that insight that you just mentioned, I think, is very powerful. We'll be right back after this quick break. Every Tuesday at 12 p.m. Eastern, we run an Extreme Consulting Makeover. What is this? Well, it's a live one-hour Q&A session where we workshop two consulting candidates' resumes and we answer your questions live. Click the link in this episode's show notes to register for an upcoming Extreme Consulting Makeover and to apply to have your resume workshop in front of a live audience. We'll see you next Tuesday. Hey, MBAs. We're putting on a special case prep cohort just for you this December, 2023. That's right. Join our black belt program link in the show notes to be a part of this exclusive cohort. We're going to deliver a group training uh, specific for where you're at in the case prep process. So uh, join, check out, learn more about black belt link in the show notes. We'd love to have you join for this MBA case prep cohort. All right, back to the show. Mark, I understand you've written a book about case competitions and you do case competitions. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're seeing in the case competition landscape and why you think that's such an important skill? Since you brought it up, I feel like we should talk about it a little bit. Um, well, I did uh, co-author it with, with two other people. 
um, and have fun writing writing the book. And and they were more the experts at the time than than I was. So I, I give them more credit than uh, than I should um, than than me. But I've you know I've been judges on on case competitions and um, both at the high school level and also at the undergraduate level. And at the high school level, I'm working with this um, academic enrichment camp, which they have a business program. And so they're they're given a case. Basically, they have a, you know, whether it's the bicycle shop in town or whether it's a ski resort, they're given a problem and then they have several days to work on it and then make their presentations and then, then they get grilled. I just think it's so it's such a great exercise because you're you're putting your classroom work to work you're putting your teamwork to work um you have to build your communication skills you have to build your net you know basically your your teamwork skills there's just it it pulls on so many different things and you know and you may not like the people you're working with but you still have to you know you have a common goal to get together and so I just think it's one of the best ways to get a feel for how someone interacts with other people, how they contribute, and uh, you pick up a lot of skills by by doing the case competitions. And I, I'd love to see um, more of you know more of them at the high school level, and then I know there's you know, a growing number at the college level and also at the MBA level as well. But, what, you know, it, I think it's one of the best things you'll do in business school while wait until you get to business school. Start doing them in, in high school and form high school case competition teams like debate teams or... I was just thinking it's kind of like that the pre-legal parallel, but a very real world experience of what you would experience inside business. Exactly. I love that idea. Yeah. Well, we've talked a little bit about case competitions, the history of case interviews. Uh, let me ask you one kind of final question just about the landscape going forward. Uh, one of the things that you've mentioned, and we've seen this, is that case interviews uh, started in consulting, but have really gone far beyond that. Um, how do you expect them to evolve over the next five years? What do you think that we'll see? What kind of changes? Who will be using them? Uh, will there be differences in the way that case interviews look in the next five years? All right. Well, we've we've seen some major changes and, you know, certainly the last 10 years, it used to be all about consulting. But now if you're interested in marketing, strategic planning, operations, logistics, finance, private equity, investment banking, human capital, venture capital, pretty much you're going to get a case. And, you know, the you know, the marketing cases have changed a great deal over that period of time because you know, seven years ago, you used to get a marketing case and there wouldn't be a number in the case, right? It was all about the four P's of marketing. Now, you know, it's all about big data. And so yeah, marketers have to learn, have do well on their math with lots of zeros. And, and that that's a big change. Also, you know, uh, data analytics is becoming more and more popular as a, as a program and also as as a uh, skill needed in a lot of corporations. And what I've seen on those interviews is they're given a spreadsheet 
And the story is you have a boss who's not very good with numbers. And so you have to analyze the spreadsheet, uh, draw up some charts to explain what's going on, identify the problems, and then come up with a solution to the problems or a game plan to help solve the problems and explaining that to your, uh, your boss. And also, you know, in investment banking, you'll get financial documents, spreadsheets that you need to look and analyze that. So I don't, you know, I think those things will remain the same. Um, I, I would like to see more firms do the case competition as part of the overall recruiting process. And, you know, this year might be a good year for them to start that because they're not going to do a lot of hiring. Right. Particularly for the second years, it's true. It's, mm-hmm. it's not a good year to be a second year. And so they're going to be more picky. You know, two years ago, they were hiring everybody and their brother. It's true. <laughs> you, you have a Ph.D. in animal science. We'd love to have you come and work in our banking division. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so this might be a good time for them to expand that and and try it because there's going to be fewer people and they're going to have to be, you know, pick the right people, not just, you know, warm bodies with, you know, a good degree. So I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of hard to picture. I I know they're probably going to expand the bots that they're, you know, the bot programs that they're doing and, you know, McKinsey's video game, that sort of thing. Um, And that can only tell you so much. Um, But I'd like to see expanse on the inner, you know, interaction and the the teamwork. Powerful. Yeah, that's great. Well, I'm excited to see what the future holds, but I know you're going to be around puppeteering it, godfathering it for years to come. So we're excited to have you on the podcast today, Mark. I have a few personal questions that I want to ask you, but before I dive into those, is there anything that I didn't ask you or anything else that you want to provide just in terms of advice, um, you know, uh, fatherly, grandfatherly advice for the, uh, uh, for the, for the folks that are going through case interviews in this particular season? Well, keep in mind the goal, you know, these are life changing jobs, right? When you get hired by one of the top consulting firms that launches your career and I know it's a lot to ask of you to put 60 to, 60 to 80 hours of prep time to prepare for an interview that you might not even get. But, you know, you can't wait till you get the interview to start preparing because you're not going to have enough time. And true. You know, walking into a case interview unprepared is like walking into a buzzsaw, except with a buzzsaw, you can only die once. <laughs> <laughs> In case interviews, you can die many times and it's not pleasant. They and never let you die fully, right? They keep it going. <laughs> but, you know, the it's, it's a great it's a great um, career to get started in. I can't think of a, a better one. And one of then one of the reasons is the learning curve never ends. You know, and the people who go into consulting are driven. They always want to learn. And this is the place where you're, you're going to do it. So put the time and the effort in. The, 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 the firms know that they're asking a lot of you to put in that amount of time. But their thought is, if you're not willing to do it, 
then you don't want the job. And we don't want you because you're not the type of person that we're looking for. Yeah. It's a hard truth spoken with a lot of grace, actually. I love that. <laughs> the buzzsaw. I've never thought about that, though, Mark. That's really good. Well, let's talk about just a few fun things about you uh, and and then we'll wrap up. So um, when I was in your house a couple of years ago, we had the privilege of doing a one-on-one interview with the godfather of case interviews, Mark Cosentino. And I noticed a shrine to a particular historical figure. So I put this question in here. Um, why is Winston Churchill your favorite historical figure? How did it happen? And uh, what is it in particular that you love about him? Well, it happened in 1986. I was watching a PBS show. It was a one-man show on um, starring Robert Hardy on Winston Churchill, and he was an it was an amazing uh, play. You know, you know we you know we know that he was significant in World War II, but did you know he invented the tank? Did you know that he fought in five different wars and he had extraordinary amount of courage? And he's also very witty. You know, he his, he has great one-liners. He's he's uh, smart. Um, but I, I think he was the most important figure in the 20th century. And the reason why I know that is because we're not having this conversation in German, right? Because he stood alone. In the, you know, in the early 1940s, America was standing off to the sidelines, being an isolationist. They didn't have a lot of um, weapons to, to use. And his only weapon was words. He was one of the great orators of, of all time. Um, and so those are some of the reasons why. I really like him, but he he wasn't. And I also like him because he wasn't perfect. He had a lot of faults and he got a lot of things wrong. You know, he got women's suffrage wrong. He got India's independence wrong. He got um, King, you know, King Edward and Wallace Simpson wrong. Uh, he got the Dardanelles wrong, but he learned from his mistakes and, you know, he was the driving force in saving Western civilization. And, and you can't forget that. And I know that, you know, these days he's getting thrown under the bus a lot that uh, people are, you know, spray painting statues of him. And, and he's been called, you know, a racist and an imperialist. And um, and he wasn't perfect. And but you have to put things in context. Right. And, you know, life back in the you know late 1800s up until, you know, the 1940s when he was uh, PM and then he died in, in 65. You know, those were very different times. And uh, you can't measure anyone in. You know, in a different time. Time set. So. Um, I think, you know, I'll stand by him. I think he was the greatest man of the 20th century and has really influenced me. And no one has been quoted more than Churchill, except maybe Jesus or Muhammad. But um, you always have people, you know, throwing out Churchill quotes. So um, 
I'm a big. I don't know what crowd you hang out with, Mark. I feel like I haven't. Uh, nobody in my circle is thrown out a Churchill quote. Maybe I should hang out with different people. I I like that. <laughs> What's your favorite one? Do you have a um, Do you have a favorite Churchill quote? Well, a, a story. So one of his um, Lady Astor, who was an American by birth, who moved to England, became an MP. Um, never really got along with Churchill. And, and she said to him, Winston, if you were my husband, I put poison in your coffee. And he said, Nancy, if if I was your husband, I'd drink it. You know, <laughs> you know so just really quick things like 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 that. But there's a lot of great quotes that that I'll send you a book if you want. I got, you know, I have 100 books on Churchill, so. I love it. Well, I this year, my um, sixth grader, he has to do reading every night and then write something about it. And so he would love to read the same books he's already read. He's an avid reader, but I'm making him read biographies of different people. I, I don't have one on Churchill that I've had him read yet. And um, so it's everything from sports to historical figures to, um, you know, figures of faith, political figures, um, you know, artists, right, all kinds of different writers, uh, all, all kinds of different folks, but I'd love to, I'd love to introduce him to Churchill through your eyes. Yeah. All right, second question, what is the wackiest question you've been asked in the teaching session? <laughs> Can you walk down the street in your hometown without getting recognized and bothered? Well, there that's that's some pretty serious celebrity status there. What's your answer, Mark? What's your answer? I said, well, I live in Santa Barbara along with Ellen, Oprah, Kevin Costner, uh Jeff Megan Bridges, and Harry now. Uh Megan and Harry, Jeff Bridges, <laughs> um, Katy Perry, Orlando Bloom. I mean, I'm the last person that anyone's gonna come up to. And and give you know and ask questions. Um, I do get recognized every you know every once in a while on a college campus or an MBA uh, campus, um, but no one's bothered me here in 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 Santa Barbara. In Santa Barbara, you don't have to wear dark sunglasses and a ball cap everywhere you go, huh? Right. Well, you can tell that they're coming down the street because they do wear the ball cap and the glasses, but it's the way that they walk. You know, they they I saw Aaron like on purpose, huh? Aaron Eckhart the other day, and he was just kind of walking like this, like he's in a hurry because he doesn't want anybody to recognize him and stop him. Uh, but uh, my my son in law owns a restaurant, and uh, Kevin Costner came in with uh, his wife and two kids, obviously before he was the, got divorced. Uh, so this was a couple years ago. And everybody left him alone. And so at the end of the meal, uh, he got up and he sent his family out and he walked around to every table in the restaurant and introduced himself and thanked people for letting him have a quiet dinner with his family. Wow. So when I heard that, I, I just that just kind of blew me away. That was Really? So in Santa Barbara, we see a lot of famous people and we just leave them alone. And so that that's probably the wackiest question. I, I, got. I can I was stunned when this guy asked me that. But. <laughs> uh, 
I wonder what Winston Churchill would have said, huh? There was some, something probably funnier than anyone that we know could come up with. Um, great. Well, last question. What's the next stop on your travel bucket list? I know that you're on the road a lot for this work that we do, um, sharing sharing the stories, being on college campuses. Um, so there are lots of places that you have been, but where haven't you been? Where do you want to go? Well, so my next my next stop, um, which isn't work related, uh, we're going to Seville, Spain, uh, for a month and uh, in March, and we're just gonna kind of get away and relax and 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 wind down. Um, it's been a why Seville? Uh <laughs> well, because our our good friends have gone there every year for the last four years, and they want to show us around. They stay for three months. And so they say, come over and you, we'll just take care of everything. So it sounded good to me. So Those are the kind of friends you want to have. You mentioned that things have been busy um, over, over the last recent time, and it'll be good to relax. Anything in particular that you've been cooking up or working on that's kept you busy? Um, well, earlier it was rewriting the, the book. The 12th edition is, is coming out after the first of the year. Um, I also got a call. There's a, a a company that wants to do an audio book, oh. so I signed the contract for for that. So that I, I'm is not Kevin Costner doing the voiceover? Tell us the truth. That's still up in the air. I'm not doing, <laughs> but we don't know who's who's going to do Who it. The voice artist is going to be, yeah. yeah. Um, and then. You know, while I'd say 75% of my workshops are via Zoom, I still, you know, do uh, college campuses. So I've been back to Boston four times already this fall. Um, Friday, I'm driving down to um, USC and doing a workshop, live workshop down there. Um, but yeah, it's, and I, and I'm I'm torn because I love being in front of people. I love the energy when you you know when you do those workshops. But it's also nice to sleep in your own bed and and travel isn't what it used to be. So uh, true. I, and I travel alone, so I I, I took Lisa on uh, two trips, right? And you know her her plane ticket was paid for because I had points. Her hotel was taken care of. But somehow the trip cost me five times the amount of money <laughs> than if I went by myself. Yeah, I'd, I'd be eating in subways and, you know, subway sandwich shops instead of, you know, the Ritz hotel or wherever she wants to eat. So five times. That's a gift, though. I feel like I need to travel with Lisa. I think I could learn a few things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But bring your credit card because I'm cutting hers up. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess it, it, that that would be the new gig. That's how you. That's all you have to figure out in this next season of life, right? Is how to have other people sponsor Lisa for her gifts and talents and shopping and working. Yeah, amazing. Well, Mark, thank you so much for the great conversation today. Any final thoughts that you want to share before we sign off? No, it's worth the the time and the effort to put into it because it launches your career and you won't regret it. And I've had a lot of fun this morning. Thank you. I, I appreciate this. And it's been a while since we chatted and it was great to catch up. It is. Yeah. Thanks again for coming on. You're welcome. Thanks so much for listening to this episode with the godfather of the case interview, 
Mark Cosentino. We are really excited to be with you and along the journey of helping with the case interview. And Mark talked about using books. We offer so many more resources as well on top of Mark's great book. If you want to get a copy of his book, you can find the link here in the show notes. If you want to work with us to help you prep for your case interview, we would love to help you do that. And if you've written a book and you want to promote it on Strategy Simplified, you can always reach out team at managementconsulted.com. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast today.